Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm so glad you're with me today because we are in Exodus chapter 3, and we are studying the incredible, the amazing burning bush experience. This is where Moses, at the age of 80 years old, after a broken life, broken dreams and disappointments, Moses is not only in a wilderness, Moses is on the back side of a wilderness. He has ran from God. He has ran as far away from Pharaoh in Egypt and ultimately from God himself as a man could run. For 40 years, Moses has looked over his shoulder. For 40 years, he's been a fugitive. For 40 years, he thought that he had hid pretty well. But you know, my friend, God has a way of finding us. God has a way of coming right into our life. No matter how hard we run, no matter how far we run, God knows exactly where we are. And so Moses encounters God this day through the burning bush. And there are many life principles we're going to learn from today's text. I'm so happy that you're listening. Well, if today speaks into your life, I would love to hear from you. You know, even though I am completely blind, and I preach every sermon as a blind pastor, you know I get all of your emails, and when my staff reads your emails to me, oh, I can't tell you how much it makes my day. Why don't you take a few moments and send me a quick email? You can always write me at pastorchadroberts at gmail.com. All one word, all lowercase, pastorchadroberts at gmail.com. I would love to know who you are, where you're listening from, and most importantly, how I can pray for you. So write me today. Well, let's go to God's Word together. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, the burning bush. From ordinary to extraordinary. Exodus chapter 3 is a divided point in the life of one of the heroes of the Bible, Moses. It's interesting that if you ponder his life, if you study, even in the very beginning, the way that Satan tried to exterminate young Jewish boys, even back in the day of Moses, anti-Semitism is nothing new in the world. And Pharaoh tried to exterminate the Jews, and many of you know the story that his mother rather than allowing him to be slaughtered like other little Jewish baby boys, she hid him. And you remember what she did? She put him in a basket in the Nile River. Now, let me tell you, growing up and you know, having eyesight uh, several years ago, I remember being a child, and I remember seeing my kids' books, and you know, when, when it would show the picture of Moses uh, in, in you know, the cute little woven basket, and he snuggled, and everything just is really adorable, and you know, she just puts him in this little stream. That's what I always thought in my head. Some years ago, you know, I used to go to Cairo, Egypt, quite often, and I've been to the Nile. I've uh, ate fish from the Nile many, many times, and I've made many trips to Cairo, and I love the Nile River. 
And they took me to the place where tradition says that Moses' mother placed him in the Nile. And let me assure you, it is no stream. It is not even a Holston River. It's mammoth. It's dangerous. And the faith that his mother and sister had to release him into the Nile, trusting the providential hand of God, nothing short of extraordinary. Of course, his sister follows him along the river bank, and where does he end up? The hand of God orchestrates that the very daughter of Pharaoh finds him and raises her as his own. Of course, they hire Moses' mother to wean him and to care for him. Only God's hand could orchestrate such a story. By the time we come to Exodus chapter 3, though, all of the promise that was in Moses' life, all of the destiny that was ahead of him, the great things that he was born to do, they were all shattered. At this point of Exodus chapter 3, Moses is 80 years old. He owns nothing. He's a fugitive that is on the run. If you go back and study, near the age of 40, Moses being raised by Pharaoh himself, he sees his people, the Hebrews, being Tormented the way that they were, made slaves the way that they were. They were made, they were forced into slavery, forced into making bricks. I've been pondering that all week. Let me tell you, Satan loves bricks. You know why? Because they're just carbon copy. They're just, stand, they're just all the same, all the same. Let me tell you, we are not bricks. Do you know who we are? The Bible says we are the living stones. Of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're no carbon copy bricks. Amen. We're living stones of Jesus Christ. Well, Moses sees his fellow people, the Hebrews, being mistreated, and he kills an Egyptian who's mistreating them. From that moment on, Moses becomes public enemy number one. He flees, he leaves, he hides. He changes his social security number. He changes his driver's license and his birth certificate. And his, No, he didn't do that. But Moses goes into hiding for the next 40 years. Now, I want you to think about that, church. Not five years, not 10, not 25, not 30. For 40 years, Moses is looking over his shoulder. For 40 years, he's a shell of a man. He was educated by Pharaoh. All of the world was at his fingertips. But what does Hebrews 11, 25 say? 24, 25. That by faith, Moses would rather suffer, he would rather have the reproach of Christ, the Bible says, and suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the riches of Egypt. 
Moses, at this point in Exodus 3, has 40 years to ponder the brokenness of his life. 40 years to think about the missed opportunities. 40 years to run from God. When you and I pick up in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, I want you to pay close attention to what it says. It tells us that Moses had a father-in-law named Jethro of Midian. And Moses was not only in the desert. You know what the scriptures say? He was on the back side of the desert tending his father-in-law's sheep. Here is Moses, 80 years old. All he ever knew his whole life was the luxuries of Egypt. Moses never wanted for anything. He never lacked anything. He knew what abundance was. He knew what riches were. He knew what royalty was. And now here he is as an 80-year-old man, utterly broken, a shell of a man with nothing but empty dreams and nothing but brokenness in his life. And where is God? Silent. It's one thing to be in a desert in life. Anyone ever been there? Anybody know what it is to walk through a desert spiritually? Oh, only a couple. Oh, my, I didn't know that. For the rest of you, it's hard. <laughs> Come on now. Get with it. You're with me? I, you know I'm blind. I can't see you. Most of you nod in your head, but I can't see you nodding your head. That's why I like it when you say, amen. Let's me know you're with me. You ever been through a wilderness? You ever been in a desert? Let me tell you, it's one thing to be in a desert. It's a whole other thing to be on the backside of a desert. But let me tell you the beautiful thing about God. The same God that in his providence orchestrated the events of his childhood, the same God that protected him in the Nile River, the same God that had a calling on his life. Let me tell you, God never went anywhere. Amen. And God knew exactly where Moses was, even when he thought he was hiding pretty well. <laughs> he thought he had hid for 40 years. But I want you to hear me today. You cannot hide from God. Amen. God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly what you're facing. God, let me tell you, you can stack up every disappointment. You can stack up every failure. You can stack up every sin. You can stack up every heartache. But let me tell you, God knows all about it today. And he knows all about your life. He knows exactly where you are, Moses. I think Moses was a shell of a man. I think he just merely existed. Even the sheep were not his sheep. Moses had nothing. Nothing but broken, failed dreams. Boy, that's where Satan would love for you to stay. But in verse 2, I want you to notice what happened. So the Bible sets the scene. Moses is 80 years old. He's on the backside of a desert on the west side. He's as far from Pharaoh as he is as far as he can get. He's in a mundane life. 
I doubt anything ever, ever, ever exciting ever happened on the backside of a desert. I bet every day was the same. Every day was quite ordinary. And after one decade had passed, another had come. And then another decade had passed, and here's another. And nothing's ever changed. Well, verse 2, things begin to change. (laughs) One day, Moses notices a bush that the angel of the Lord caught on fire. And I love this. This bush caught on fire, but the extraordinary thing is that it wasn't consumed. This was a supernatural event going on. Now, there are some critics and there are some scientists who will try to explain Scripture away. Let me tell you, you you explain it away, you'll explain your soul away. And there are some people who try to, and and here's what they'll say. They'll say, well, I'll tell you exactly how this fire happened. It was underneath a a natural gas line. Okay, dum-dum. Then why did it not consume? And Moses sees this fire from heaven, this supernatural fire from God. And let me tell you something, my friends. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29 says, Our God is an all-consuming fire. Amen. Let me tell you what the church needs today. It needs the fire of the Holy Spirit. We must have it. We must have it, amen. The Bible teaches that hell is enlarging itself. And let me tell you, if there were more fire in our pulpits, there'd be less fire in hell. The great Leonard Ravenhill once said, God and humanity and fire are inseparable. Do you realize that every human being, including yourself, is marching toward an eternal fire? Do you realize that? Some, unfortunately, are on a broad path to destruction. And many there be that are on that path. There are some who are going to spend eternity in a Christless hell. And people can debate all day long, what did Jesus mean by hell? But the fact is, he taught more on hell than what he did on heaven. And it is a place of consciousness. It is a place of separation. What's going to make hell, hell is not just the fire. It's the separation from God. And one day, hell itself is going to be thrown into the lake. A fire. But see what happened in Moses' day. Moses was told, he was instructed, you take the blood of the lamb and you put it on the doorpost. And when you apply it to the doorpost, when the death angel passes by, what's the death angel going to do? He's going to pass over you. Amen. And what does the Bible say? That when mankind, when humanity faces the second death, those who have the blood of Jesus applied to our life, what does the Bible say? It says the second death will not harm us. It means it will not even see us. It will not even recognize us. Why? Because the blood has been applied. Amen. And it will pass over. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Has the blood been applied to you? But Christians, 
Christ followers, born again. We are also headed toward an eternal fire. Do you know the Bible teaches in Corinthians that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ? And you know what that word in, oh, come on, Chad, second, 1 Corinthians 5 or 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. You can look at them both, it'll be good for you. <laughs> we must all appear. You know what that Greek word for appear is? It means to be turned inside out. You won't hide anything that day, my friend. There'll be nothing hidden. Nothing hidden. And the Bible says that he's going to take all of our works. All of our works. And he's going to try it by fire. See, humanity and fire is inseparable. And he's going to try it by fire. And if it's Wood or hay or stubble, it's just going to consume. There'll be nothing to present to the Savior. But if it's gold and silver and precious stone, oh, what gifts you'll have to give to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Fire is mighty important to God. Why is fire important to God? Because God is an all-consuming fire. How did he come to his church on the day of Pentecost? That's fire. Let me tell you, my friends, you should write this down. Nothing grows in ice. That's why Satan loves cold, dead, frozen churches. That's why Satan loves dead, frozen, cold Christians with frozen faith. And frozen thinking just froze. Nothing grows in ice. No, you know what the greatest need of our day is? Is the fire of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Again, Leonard Ravenhill, who's already gone on to be with the Lord. He used to say, in the early days of the church, we had men... With no college degrees, but yet they had heat. Today, we got plenty of men with degrees, but no heat. We need fire, amen. I remember quite well when the Lord baptized me with fire. I was just a kid. But I knew, I recognized that something was missing in my walk with the Lord. I love the Lord as much as I love Him today. I walked with Him as closely as I do today. I, I was young and dumb, but boy, I love the Lord now. And I remember that <clears throat> I'd hear those old saints, they would talk about the fire of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it felt like. I didn't, truth be told, I didn't really even know what I was asking. I'm not talking about sensationalism. The Lord's not in sensationalism. I'm not talking about emotionalism. Do you know how strong your emotionalism is? Just wait, it will change. No, it's fickle. It, It changes. No. When I say the fire of the Holy Spirit, I don't mean emotions. I don't mean sensationalism in any way. I'm talking about a permanence. 
I'm talking about an endurance. I'm talking about a burning out of sin, a burning out of the flesh, a burning out of the things that are not godly in your life. And I remember one day as a kid, we were at school and it started to snow. They released school. My parents were both at work. My neighbor's mom picked us all up, took us home. I was over at my neighbor's house. They're just doing whatever. I was young. I can't, I can't even remember how old I was, but young teenager, maybe 13 or 12 or something like that. And for weeks, I had asked the Lord, fill me with fire. For weeks, I was asking God to let me know what the fire of the Holy Spirit was. But nothing. And that day, I was just hanging out with friends. But I sensed the Lord say, go home. Get by yourself. Get on your knees. And pray. And I did that. I went home. No one was there. I got alone with God. And I began to tell God, I don't understand this. I don't know fully what it is. But I know I lack it. I know I need it. I know I want it. I desire it, Lord. And like most things that are supernatural, you can't quite explain it. But let me tell you, a man who experiences God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument about God. (laughs) And that day, heaven came down. And there was a fire off the altar of God that came into my soul that I'm telling you all the days of my life from that point until now, all of the days of my life, nothing has ever been able to quench that fire inside my soul. Nothing. Nothing has quenched it. And I believe that God has given our church a fire. I believe God has given our church something that I pray to God that nothing ever quenches the fire of the Holy Spirit that we know here. Amen? Have you been touched by the fire of God? Is there a passion in you for the glory of God? I'm not talking about emotions. You'll, you'll mess it up if you, if you don't understand. You, you, you'll, you'll get wonky here. I'm not talking about sensationalism. I'm talking about has there been a time that God has set your soul on fire? Let me tell you, I have no need for God to set a bush on fire. I want him to set me on fire. Amen. Me, my heart, my mind. I want the fire of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, John indeed baptizes you with water, but I'm going to baptize you with what? Fire, because it's inseparable. Inseparable. So Moses, here he is. He's 40 40 years of mundane 40 years of the ordinary. And now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, is this supernatural, this extraordinary thing. And I want you to look at verse 3. And what happens? Moses says, Huh. I think I'll turn aside and see this great wonder. No, I don't think that was his tone at all. (laughs) Moses is stunned. Moses can't believe it. How can this be? 
And the Bible says, I want you to look at it, verse number three. The Bible says that Moses turned aside. Let me tell you what Scripture is telling us. God got his attention. See, the fact is, there are many believers today, God does not have your attention. Oh, you come to church, and I'm glad you do. You come because you like the music, and you come because hopefully you like the preaching. You come because you like the social lies. No, see, here's my question today. There are many of us who we come and yes, yes, we're, you know, even even the music, you know, we'll we'll engage, whatever. But no, I'm talking tomorrow. (laughs) I'm talking Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. I'm not talking about 90 minutes in your week. I'm talking about your whole life. Does God have your attention? Because for most of us, he doesn't. He doesn't. If God had our attention the way that he desires, our decisions would look a whole lot different. The sin that runs rampant in many of our lives would not be. We would worship God in a far more meaningful way, not because it's our favorite song, but because we worship out of our life. Our life is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our spiritual worship. Our life is incense rising night and day day and night, as an aroma unto the Lord, if he had our full attention. Our prayer life would look far different if he had our full attention. And see, my friends, here's Moses. See, he thought he was done. He thought he was ruined. Here he is, he's 80 years old, and he doesn't own anything, and he's working for his father-in-law. And, uh, you know, you can be mighty close to your in-laws, but I don't know if you want to work for your (laughs) in-laws. And here he is, he's 80 years old, and he's working for his father-in-law, and he doesn't own anything, and he's a fugitive, and he's on the run, and he's always looking over his shoulder, and he thinks his life is done. But no, it isn't. And I'm telling you, I don't care who's walked out on you today. I don't care how messy that divorce was. I don't care how pain, how, how listen, you may, you may say of everyone in this room, I am the most failure. Let me tell you, you're in good company with our friend Moses today. You're in good company. God can bless your life despite anything or anyone. And Moses is proof of that. So God gets his attention. He turns. For the first, I think for the first time in 40 years, Moses feels something. For the first time in 40 years, Moses feels alive. Wow. Now, verse 4 is where it gets very intriguing to me. The surprising thing is not that Moses turned and looked at it. The surprising thing to me, look carefully at verse 4. When God saw that Moses turned and looked. (laughs) 
Now that surprises me. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that God's paying attention to our life. See, it's very interesting to me that the Bible does not feel the need to separate what is God's responsibility and what is man's responsibility. I see it like a coin. Every coin's got two sides. <coughs> One side is God's responsibility. You turn it over, there's my responsibility. God initiated something with Moses. God showed him his glory. He showed him his power. He showed him his might. God's going to put a call unlike anything else on his life. But let me tell you, it was Moses' responsibility to respond. And when God sees in verse 4 that he's got Moses' attention, I think for the first time in 40 years, he's 80 years old at this point. And when God saw that he had Moses' attention, this is when he calls out to him, Moses, Moses. And I want you to look at what Moses says. He didn't say, I'm a broken man. He didn't say there's too many lost opportunities. He didn't say, well, he's going to have some excuses later, but that's okay. <laughs> what does he say? Here I am. May I say something to you, my precious church? Some of you are waiting for God to do something great in your life. Could it be that God in reality is waiting on you to pay attention? Could it be that you're praying for these massive prayers to be answered, but God's already answering many prayers, but you're not turning aside? You're not paying attention? Could that be? Could it be that if you would just pay attention to what God is doing in your life right now, God would speak to you? Verse 5. God speaks to him and says, don't come any further. And look what he said. He's going to say something very interesting. Take your shoes off. Oh, I love that. What a great command. Now, friends, you're talking to a man who doesn't own anything. Probably has a, a, a rod, a staff. That has, what else does he have? God says, take your shoes off. You know what God is saying? God is saying, remove your pride. Remove your arrogance. Remove your own strength. Remove your self-sustaining. Remove that I'll make it my own way attitude. you got to take those things off in the presence of the Lord. And could it be that there are many of us today that God is doing great things. God is speaking. God is active in our lives. One day, a man prayed and he asked the Lord... He said, God, if you would set fire to a bush, just like you did for Moses, then I would obey you. And so the man 
planted a large bush in his backyard and watched it every day, waiting for fire to come. And you know, God did answer the man's prayer. But he didn't send fire to that bush. He sent fire to the churches of his area. He sent fire to the hearts of the believers. He sent fire to the pastors. And finally, because the man was looking at the wrong thing, the man looked up to heaven and shook his fist. And he said, God, have you lost your power? God looked down at the man and said, have you lost your hearing? Could it be that God is answering your prayers? You're just not turning and looking. Could it be that God's active in your life, but you're not paying attention? You're back here in the backside of the wilderness, feeling sorry for yourself, pondering all the missed opportunities, pondering all the broken dreams, and you feel like God has no idea where you are. Let me tell you, my friend, God knows exactly where you are today. Amen. He knows. And God wants to work in your life. And let me tell you the gospel truth. God doesn't write you off. Yes, there may have been failure in your life. Fell forward. Yes, there may be tragedy in your life. There may be calamity that's in your life. There may be ugly and messy things in your life. But let me tell you what Moses had no idea. The whole time he was on the backside of the wilderness, he had no idea that he was literally in the training ground for the greatest call he could have ever imagined. I can hear Israel. (laughs) Oh, boy. I can hear those Israelites. Moses, why'd you bring us out here? We should have stayed in Egypt. And I bet Moses just kept walking going, you have no idea what the wilderness is. I've been out here for 40 years. I know exactly what this place is. Think about that. God had him in training for what he was about to do for God's people. Now say amen right now if you're with me. You may have experienced great loss. You may have had your heart broken. You may be drinking today from the cup of suffering. But it's not meaningless. God has you in training right now for what I believe is going to be the greatest chapter of your life. And Satan's telling you it's the end of the book. No, my friend. It's just the end of a chapter and a page is about to turn and a brand new chapter awaits. Can we say hallelujah today? And so God says, don't come any further. Take off your shoes. In other words, Moses, take off your self-sustaining. Take off your pride. Take off your arrogance. Take off your own way. Take off your old way. No, get vulnerable. Come as you are. And then he says, for the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. You know what holy ground is today? There are some who would say this church is holy ground. But I've got sad news to tell you, my friend. It's just an old warehouse that we made into a church. That's all it is. This building is not holy ground today. 
It's not. You know, uh, I remember my mom when I was growing up, and this is good, I'm not saying it's bad, but I remember, you know, my mom, you know, as a little boy, boy, she raised me. This is God's house. And it is. There's a level of truth to it. You know, I'd put my feet on the pews and she'd smack my leg. Get your feet off God's furniture. <laughs> right? And I remember being a kid. Boy, I was a smart aleck kid. It- <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. For those of you that don't know, that was my mother that just said amen quite loudly. Quite loudly. Hmm. But I remember being a kid and I used to think if, if, the, if the building is so holy, then why does it have bathrooms in it? You know? It, it just didn't compute with me. No. No, the building is not holy. Do you know what's holy? You are. Why? Because you've been born again. And do you know what it means when you've been born again? You know what that means? It means you are now partakers. It means you now share in God's divine nature within you. That's why God can say, be ye holy as I am holy. Because you're born again. You know why our kids act like us? Because they're born of us. They have our nature. If you're born again, you have God's nature today. Amen. So what's the point? The point is, is that wherever you are is holy ground. So today you may be going through the toughest season of your life. Take heart You're standing on holy ground. Today you may be in an impossible situation at work. You may hate your job with all of your might. Take heart, you're on holy ground. I know in my heart, people are listening today who's in jail and they're in prison cells. Take heart because you are on holy ground. Wherever God's presence is, is holy ground. And that's why you can transform your work environment. That's why you can transform your family dynamic and environment. That's why you can transform your apartment complex. That's why you can transform your neighborhood. That's why you can transform your city. Because wherever we stand... We are on holy ground. For most of us, we lack one thing. Fire. Fire. Not fire that's emotional, no. Fire that burns in permanence. Fire that says no sin, no temptation, no accusation, No life from the enemy. No trial in life. No hardship. No adversity. No sorrow. Nothing is going to make me turn my hand from the plow. I'm going all the way with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, that's the fire that I want. I want the kind of fire that Satan just scratches his head and goes, I don't know what else to do. 
He just won't quit. Amen. And I won't. Why? Because heaven's touched my soul. Because my heart is this burning bush. And it's been set aflame. As yours. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Do you need to give God your attention today? Are you distracted with the cares of this life? Are you distracted, my friend? There's a lot of things in our world to be worried about. Politics is a mess. Stock market's a mess. Nation is rising against nation. Wars and rumors of war. Provisions and supply chains and on and on and on. And, and the world is just, uh, it's just a mess right now. But that doesn't change scripture. Jesus said, take heart. I have overcome the world. I don't care what the news says. It doesn't change the fact Christ has overcome it. It doesn't change the fact this is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. I don't care what you've gained. I don't care what you've lost. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Does God have your attention? Does he have your attention? Do you need to take off some things today? Do you need to take off your shoes, your your arrogance, your pride, your self-sustaining attitude? Do you need to turn aside and notice what God's doing? The prayers that God is answering. Father, I pray that you'll work right now in the hearts of your people. Perhaps you're here today and you don't. You know, you're like me. I knew something was missing. I was born again. Something was lacking. Why don't you begin a journey today of asking the Lord to fill you with fire? Begin a journey today to say, Lord, give me a passion for the glory of God that will never be quenched. Give me a determination. Give me a resolution. Give me a resolve that Satan will never, ever get me to quit. And let the fire of God burn in you, my friend. Perhaps you're here today. Perhaps you're watching online. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Perhaps God has orchestrated events that have led your life up to the very point where you are right now. And you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, look to me. Put your faith in me. Put your trust in me. You can't put your trust in the church. You can't put your faith in a preacher. You can't put your faith in your parents or your grandmother's religion. You can't put your faith in anything or anyone except the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Everything else will leave you disappointed. Today, if you've never made Jesus Savior, Lord, I want you to pray with me right now. 
God's calling you, if you sense God knocking at your heart, I want you to pray with me right now. Pray this. Pray it in your heart with me right now. Even those watching online, pray this. Lord Jesus, I give you me today and I hold nothing back. Forgive my sin. Cleanse me. Make me new. Save me and change me. Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.